Thank you for joining us for the Word of God. Today we're going to look at for Lent, the fourth Sunday in Lent. According to the Daily Lectionary in the Book of Common Prayer, 1979, we are looking at our journey in Lent as we are studying together Jeremiah, Romans, and John. Now some of you may be reading Jeremiah, Romans, and John on a daily basis. I hope you will take the time to do it. Some of you may be doing some Bible study. As I've said repeatedly, you may want to look at the study notes at the bottom of your Bible if you have a study Bible. I am reading from the English Standard Version, ESV. This is when I read text, I'll be reading from those versions. And this particular week, we'll be looking at Jeremiah 14, 16, 17, 18, 22, 23. And we want to remind you that you may want to look at other scriptures rather than the ones that we have listed for you. So in Jeremiah, for example, you might want to look at more of chapter 22 or chapter 19 or chapter 20. We're skipping chapter 19, 20, and 21, but you might want to look at it. In Romans, we'll be looking at chapter 7, 8, and 9, and we'll be going back to John, John 6, very long chapter. Most of it is 6. In fact, the whole week is 6 now that I look at it, verses 1 to 71. So a very, very long chapter in chapter 6, and we'll be looking at that in the latter part of the teaching. All right, let's go to chapter 14. Remember what I said last week? Jeremiah is speaking the word of the Lord. In chapter 1, he does not want to do this because the prophet is not well-liked when people speak the word of the Lord and the people don't want to hear that word. But in order for God to speak to the people, he has to raise up individuals to speak for God. Those, again, are called prophets. Jeremiah was a very, very famous prophet. And he was around the 6th century B.C., 6th century B.C. He had a very long reign, and he was abused significantly because the people would not obey the Lord. So as you're reading Jeremiah, you want to look for ways that people did not do what God says, what happened to them when they didn't, what God told them to do in order to do it. Now that applies to us too. What is God saying to you in terms of obedience? What is God saying to you regarding his will? What is God saying to you and me regarding our refusal to do what he says? So listen to those themes, the answers to those questions as you're reading. Chapter 14, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning the drought. Judah mourns, her gates languish. The people lament on the ground. The cry of Israel goes up. So there's a drought, and they're very upset about it, and they're crying out. They're crying out to God. Verse 4, because of the ground that is dismayed, there's no rain in the land. The farmers are ashamed. They cover their heads. The wild donkeys, verse 6, lay on the bare heights. They pant for air like jackals. Their eyes fail because there's no vegetation. Though our iniquities testify against us, O Lord, for your namesake, for our backslidings are many, we have sinned against you. They're confessing their sin. They're in trouble. What do people do when they're desperate with God? They ask, they cry out for help. Oh, oh you 
hope of Israel, its savior in times of trouble. Why should you be like a stranger in the land, like a traveler who turns aside to tarry for a night? Isn't that beautiful language? So again, very beautiful language, very much indicative of ourselves, uh, even in this time where, we're, where we get in a desperate situation, we're in a crisis, and we cry out for God for help. We need some relief because we know that only God can answer our needs. So enjoy chapter 14. Chapter 16, 10 to 21. Again, skip chapter 15. If there's parts that you would like to read, please go back and look at that in your Bible. Chapter 16, the days are coming, verse 14, when, we shall, when it shall lo no longer be said, as the Lord lives and brought us out of the people of Israel, out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, for I, had brought, I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. So here's what we have in terms of restoration. So with God, there's wrath against sin and there's judgment. With God, there's repentance and forgiveness and restoration. So he's a God of both. Now, what you and I want to be on, since we're sinners and we're going to sin, we want to be on the idea of repentance, forgiveness, and restoration. Okay? Now, if you... Sin against the Lord, he says, in their sin, verse, six, for verse 18 of chapter 16, because they polluted my land with the carcasses of their detestable idols and they filled my inheritance with their abominations. So there's going to be problems when we do not do what God says. Okay? Verse 20, can man make for himself gods? Such are not gods. No. Therefore, behold, I will make them know this once I will make them know my power and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. So God is going to reveal himself to us. That's another attribute of God. He's going to tell us who he is. He's going to share with us his name. He's going to speak to us about himself. Even though we do lots of stupid things and things that we shouldn't do, we make idols, we carve images. Remember the Ten Commandments. No gods before me. No idols. Okay? No idols. Do not profane my name. All right? We're still reminded of those commandments in the Bible as we work through Jeremiah and other writers. Jeremiah 17, 19 to 27. Okay? Take care of your lives, verse 21. Do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. Do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath or do any work. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember, that's the fourth commandment. Keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your fathers. Okay, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. Yet they did not listen. They didn't hear. They didn't incline their ear. They stiffened their neck. They became stubborn. They, they may not hear and receive instruction. Now that's not something you and I want to do. We want to receive instruction. We want to listen to what God is saying. We do not want to, we do not want to stiffen our necks and refuse to listen to the Lord. That would be extremely unwise. So evaluate yourself as you read this great text in Jeremiah 18. Then we switch all the, uh, in Jeremiah, that was uh, 17, in chapter 18, verses 1 through 11, the word of God came from Jeremiah, to Jeremiah, from the Lord, not from Jeremiah, to Jeremiah. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and I will let you hear these words. So listen to the words that he shares to them for the sake of time. I can't go through all of this with you uh, about what God speak to him, speaks to him about the potter. 
and about the potter's hand. And you and I are the clay, and he's the potter. Okay? He's in charge. You and I are not in charge. God's in charge. That is a great, great scripture. Chapter 18. Chapter 22. We're skipping 18 and, uh, I mean 19, the end of 18, 19 and 20. We're going all the way to 22, 13. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages. Okay, so he tells us what to do. He tells us how to live. Do not be unrighteous. Do not be unjust. If somebody serves you and does something for you, give them wages. Who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cuts out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Do you think you are a king because you compete in silver? So he's challenging us to think about what we're doing, okay? What are you doing? So God knows what you and I are doing and he corrects us and disciplines us when we find ourselves in a situation where we are not obeying the Lord. This is what I love about Jeremiah. It's very personal. Although again, he's speaking to the people of Israel at that time, the people of Judah to be specific. But that word is also true for us in terms of our actions and our reactions to God. Chapter 23, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Boy, you want to get yourself in trouble? Be a shepherd of the sheep of God, the people of God, and mess them up. You scattered my flock. You've driven them away. You've not attended to them. And then he says, I will attend you for your evil deeds. And he said, I'm going to take care of my people, but I'm also going to take care of you if you don't take care of my people. Okay? And then we have a prophecy about the Messiah, verse 5. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he is called the Lord is our righteousness. He's talking about the future Messiah. So there's messianic overtones in Jeremiah also. So again, enjoy reading Jeremiah. It's got tremendous, tremendous amount of great information. We turn now to Romans chapter 7, which answers the question, what in the world are we going to do with the problem of sin? Verse 7, what should we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. So is the law terrible because it tells us about sin? No. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. If there's no law, there's no transgression. I read that last week. If there is law, there is transgression and there is sin. And it's good to know what the sin is because if you don't deal with the sin, because you don't know what it is, then you're in trouble. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. That's the 10th commandment. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment, verse 10, that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. And so the law is holy, the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. And so he has this extraordinary diatribe about the relationship between sin and the law, between wrath and judgment, and 
he has this amazing line that's often quoted. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law, verse 21, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I'm trying to do the right thing. Have you ever felt like you tried to do the right thing, but evil was close at hand? I delight in the law of God in my inmost being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. I want to do the right thing, but I'm held captive by this law that's keeping me from doing what God wants me to do. Wretched man that I am. Almost sounds Shakespearean. I feel like I'm, you know, I'm in Macbeth or something when Macbeth realizes what he's done. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Ah, solution, verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. The rest of the week is focused on Romans 8 for three days and Romans 9. It's hard to find a chapter in the Bible better than Romans 8. I could talk about it for hours and hours. But I would just simply say, read it. It's a beautiful rendition of the positive value of living by grace, of living according to the Holy Spirit, of not living according to the flesh. There are many, many, many verses in this chapter that are often quoted. Let me read a couple of them and go to verse 9, chapter 9. What shall we say to these things, verse 31, after you've read all of this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Wouldn't it be something to have that scripture so deeply implanted in you? If God is for you, who can be against you? You're, you have everything you need. He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring this charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You hear this a lot at funerals. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, sword, danger. No. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In chapter 9, we look at the sovereignty of God, the truth in Christ. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit. He's talking about his people in chapter 9. There's a big shift here, 9, 10, and 11. It's a centerpiece of Romans. Romans has 16 chapters. And he's going to talk about how the Jews responded to the gospel and why they didn't respond in chapter 9. So in chapter 7, he's dealing with, oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? And then he gets the answer in Christ by listening to the Holy Spirit and thanking God at the end of chapter 8 at how God has blessed him. And then he comes back to his people and deals with them in chapter 9. Read slowly. Romans 7, 8, 9 are about as good as you can get. John chapter 6, literally the whole week is in one chapter. This is an extraordinary chapter, and that's a great understatement. We begin with the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000 is one of the few scriptures in the Old, I mean, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all share. There are not many texts that they all share outside of Jesus' passion and resurrection. 
because they're doing different things. Each of them, each of the writers is presenting a different aspect of Jesus's life and ministry. But the idea of buying bread, the idea of feeding all of these people, having people sit down, and the fact that Jesus was able to miraculously give them the bread is a very, very important teaching. And he'll expand that in John. He walks on water. If you know anything about Jesus, you hear that he walks on water. There's where it is. His disciples went down to the sea. They got in a boat. They went to Capernaum. It was dark. Jesus did not come to them. There was a strong wind. About three or four miles out, Jesus is walking on the water. Well, if you can create the universe, you can walk on water. If you can hold the universe together, you can walk on water. And he can walk on water. Now, we go into this extraordinary study of him, Jesus, being the bread of life. Verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, so temporal things have no value. He says, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of God will give you, the Son of Man will give you, on him God the Father has set his seal. So he's telling us what's really important. What's really important is not the food that perishes, but the food that has eternal ramifications. This is the work of God that you believe in the one whom he has sent. Verse 29. Okay? The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, this is why in many denominations, Holy Eucharist is very important, the Lord's Supper. So in our church, the Lord's Supper is a very central theme because we are receiving Christ and we're asking Christ to come in us and to move in our souls and our bodies and nurture us and fill us. Okay, as only Christ can. Then he famously says in verse 35 of chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Okay, so what he's basically saying is, I can take care of every need that you have, and I can keep you from being hungry and keep you from being thirsty. I can literally keep you alive. And he's speaking, obviously, not physically. He's speaking spiritually. So what we spiritually need in our lives, ladies and gentlemen, is Christ. Now, the rest of the chapter is his response to the Jews. You see that in verse 20, 41? The Jews grumbled. They're grumbling. They grumble a lot in John. And he's answering those questions and he's dealing with them. He, so I want, when you read this, I want you to read this very slowly. And then finally he says in verse 61, do you take offense at this? He's talking to the disciples. They were grumbling. The disciples didn't like his answers. Read them closely. Then, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you that do not believe. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Verse 66, he had offended them. They said, we're not going to go any further. Perhaps you felt like that sometime. Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? I think you would have let them go. He never compromises the truth of his word for the, for, to make people feel better. Always truth. Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know you are the Holy One of God. And so we have in the sixth chapter this amazing teaching in this entire chapter, very long, about the bread of life and about who Christ is 
and about feeding and about the miracle power he has and who he is as a person. So enjoy as you continue your journey in Lent in the fourth Sunday in Lent. We'll see you next week for the fifth Sunday in Lent followed by Holy Week. God bless you.